Previously on MTV Sugar Down South. I think I like guys since when? Since forever, man. Baba, I'm gay. Hi, this is Karin Weiss and welcome to the Medicus Mundi Switzerland Health for All podcast. And today we talk with Georgia Arnold, who is an amazing producer of MTV Sugar series. Hi Georgia, it's a great pleasure for me having you on this podcast, Health for All. Oh, well, hi Karin, and thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. You're welcome. So Georgia, you're the producer of an award winning TV show, not only for young people, but also for older generations called MTV Sugar. MTV Sugar uses storytelling to impact young lives on taboo topics such as sexuality, rape, HIV, homosexuality, domestic and gender-based violence. In a few words, what is the idea behind MTV Sugar? So MTV Sugar is produced by the MTV Staying Alive Foundation, which I run, and our remit is around health and wellness for young people. And we do it through um, storytelling to change lives. So uh, the cornerstone of the work that we do is using MTV Sugar, and we started it uh 11 years ago now um, in Kenya. And since Kenya, we've done series in uh, Nigeria, South Africa, Cote d'Ivoire, and even uh, an equivalent show in India called MTV Nashed. What we want to do with MTV Sugar is really reflect our audiences' lives back at them. When we first started doing this, we were very much focused on HIV. Um, and over the you know decade and more that we've been doing MTV Sugar, we really expanded the messaging to cover not just HIV, uh, but also reproductive health, looking at mental health. Uh, you mentioned earlier on gender-based violence. Um, and India, we're also tackling tuberculosis. And this year, of course, we've been addressing COVID-19. Fantastic. So for me, when I heard the first time about MTV Sugar, that was about two years ago from one of our member organizations from Medicus Mundi Switzerland. And being myself a film producer, I know the power of conveying public health messages through pictures and words and how behavioral change of harmful norms and practices can be possible. But before we talk about the impact of MTV Sugar has on young people, let's go back to where everything started. So how came MTV Sugar into life? It actually goes back quite a few years, Corinne. Um, I have been working at MTV for 26 years now. And when I started, I started as uh, a, an assistant to the uh, the head of MTV in Europe. MTV was one channel uh, all across Europe. Uh, and we had a charity budget, a very small charity budget of $5,000. And my boss at the time gave me that funding and said, look, rather than just buying tables at various charity events, why don't we do something meaningful with this on screen? And MTV was really growing globally at this point. So we were one channel across Europe, but his ambition was for MTV to be in every single country, which it is now. And we're talking mid-90s. And so thankfully, it didn't take a rocket scientist, of which I am not, to figure out that 
We needed to find an issue that was relevant to young people, the MTV's demographic, 15 to 24 year olds, but also that was relevant to them on a global basis. And the mid 90s, HIV was rampant. Um, HIV was the biggest killer of young people around the world. And so that's what we did. We started off just by producing a one-off documentary. And that one-off documentary, um, to make it feel very MTV relevant, was hosted by George Michael. But we told the stories of, um, real stories of young people who were affected and infected by HIV. Get a child. The younger, the better. How do you expect us to be together if we're sleeping with another guy? Don't go out there sleeping with men for their money. I used the money I gave from Somla to pay for my fees. I didn't get a full scholarship like you did. And from that one documentary, um, two things happened. The, the first was that it was very important to us that this went beyond MTV's audience. So we created it rights cleared and cost free so that anyone, whether it was an individual or a school um, or a university or a community, we would send them the tapes back then if they asked for it. And that's very much fundamental to the strategy that we still have today, um, making sure that we can reach the widest audience possible at no cost to them. So that's really important to what we do. And I think from that one off documentary, which I thought was just, you know, a nice thing to do at the time, we started to get requests for the next World AIDS Day. What issue were we going to do? And, and it grew and grew until I wrote a letter to Nelson Mandela's office. Um, he was turning 85 and I wrote to him saying that I felt that our audience around the world didn't really know his story. And I wanted to be able to tell his story outside of young people in Africa. So they asked me to come and see them. And amazingly, they said yes. And we took four young people to meet with him. And each of their lives reflected a part of his life. So we took Henry from Uganda, who is HIV positive, whose family had been pretty much wiped out because of AIDS. And he sat with Mandela and said, when you first started to fight apartheid, how did you ever really see the light at the end of the tunnel? Did you really believe you were going to beat it? Because I'm an AIDS activist and I'm ready to give up hope. And then we had Min Zin from Burma, who uh, lived in exile in Thailand, and Jumana from Palestine, whose father had been killed by the Israeli army, and Guy from Israel, whose sister had been killed by a suicide bomber. And the two of them sat together and said, how did you ever shake the hand of your enemy? And it was, you know, an incredible experience, as you can imagine. And But what we learned from Henry was really what a young person needs. And this is fundamental to us changing from being a TV show on MTV to becoming a foundation that is about the health and wellness of young people. So what Henry taught us is that young people need respect. They have their own stories to tell that need to be told, that they need investment. Um, sometimes that's a cash investment. Sometimes it's an educational investment and they need to be trusted. I was very impressed by the storylines of MTV Sugar. And what striked me most was the authenticity of the actors. How did you choose them? 
Originally, um, when we started, and I will be honest with you and say, we had no idea what we were creating with MTV Sugar. You know, we had hopes and dreams, but um, I'm not sure we had a theory of change at the time. And when we started, we went to agent, you know, local agents in Kenya. Um, nowadays, we do a mixture of things. So certainly we will go to agents, so to find some up and coming actors, but we also hold public auditions. And if it's in COVID times, we do those online. And we found some incredible actors who've taken lead roles um, just through public auditions. So they've walked through the doors and I've been to many of them and they are superb in terms of queues around the door, you know, 2000 people that we see in a day. It's a bit like the X Factor. But once we find our actors, regardless, we sit down and we um, send them, we have a day's training with them so that they really understand what MTV Sugar is about what the message that each individual actor is carrying and their own responsibility. Are the stories also their stories? Is it reflected also in their lives? Many times it has been. Um, Many times, and it's very interesting, you know, we've tackled gender-based violence in every single series that we've done to date. And I would say pretty much all of the actors who've been involved in those storylines will tell us that they feel that they're reflecting back a a moment of their own lives, um, which is very hard. I mean, it's not just an outward responsibility to their audience, but we have a responsibility to our actors to make sure that they feel safe and secure, that they can have someone to speak to if they need to. And they also know how to deal with what happens when someone in the audience stops them in the street or contacts them through social media and says, you've told my story, what do I do? Where do I go? And and while we train our actors, they're not experts. And so we train them to make sure they know where to direct them to, to service providers. But I I will say there are certain actors who we have um, who take their roles incredibly seriously. Um, in South Africa, there's an actor called Ayanda Mackay, and he plays a character called Sol. So he is um, violent towards his um, much younger girlfriend. And he then, in the second series, he gets a young kid into drugs or uh, to drug dealing. But we also see his background and how he inherited his violence through his father. And what Ayanda realised in playing this character was he had the opportunity to show both sides of a story of both the perpetrator and the victim through this one character. And he now has set up his own foundation. Um, We are currently talking to him about doing more content around the man-child and trying to understand what makes a man. So everything has this ripple effect. So there was a lot of gender transformative approaches which you actually used with MTV Sugar. We certainly, I mean, that's that's the aim. You know, the aim is that we want to ensure that young people who watch this are recognising that they have choices to make. And we will never um, wag a finger at them and tell them that they're doing the wrong thing. 
We just want to show them what, you know, which part, the different paths that they have to go down. And I think, you know, when we look at the impact that we have, we've had a lot of independent evaluation done on us. And I think the... That was also one of the questions. How do you measure your success? So we have been evaluated by uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, by UNICEF, by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and the World Bank did um, an RCT study on us. So we have real proof of impact. And, you know, interestingly, we've just been doing a sister show in India. Um, and we've just had some second wave uh, results. It's not an RCT, it's, it's a digital evaluation, but that's showing that um, a third more young people are using condoms if they're MTV Nished viewers. So, you know, we're seeing some really interesting results and, and some interesting rev results as well around gender-based violence, um, which is very hard. You know, all of these things are, how do you prove it? Exactly, exactly. What kind of proof did you find or what has uh, been reflected in, the, in your studies? Well, I think the, the main things are, you know, around HIV testing. Um, and that, that's um, rel relatively simple to do because we gave both the treatment to the control group um, vouchers to local HIV testing centers, which we had made sure were youth friendly. Um, the chlamydia was relatively simple to do because it was all mouth swabs. And then all of our other work is a mixture of both qual and quantitative, quantitative evaluation. Um, and that really does look at questionnaires. We've got one going on at the moment in Nigeria with Tulane University, and they've just completed their third wave. And that's going back to 900 young people and having them on the phone for over an hour, asking them very detailed questions. And they don't know that the questions that they're being asked are necessarily about MTV Sugar. So they have ways to be able to definitively connect the dots between their responses to whether or not MTV Sugar had an impact. Test. HIV HIV positive friend. What happened to her? Stay with me. What happened to her? She had a backstreet abortion. Yeah, to remove your womb to save your life. I will never have children. I can imagine that it's not always that easy because with your series, you go straight into the taboo topics of an African culture which is mainly male dominated and patriarchal. And then you tackle taboo topics around sexuality, such as homosexuality, rape, transactional sex. Do you or your protagonist, do you, do you get any threats? I'm very happy to say no. Um, and, and I think the reason is we, we work within borders. So the best example, I'll give you two examples, one for South Africa, one for Nigeria. So in South Africa, um, when we did the first series there, we were very excited to be able to tackle that because in South Africa, it is legal to be gay. And up until that point, we had not had a gay character because all the countries we worked in, it was illegal still to be gay. And so what we did was we created a character called Reggie. Um, and he, his, in the first series, it was very much his coming out, coming out to himself and then to his family and his friends and we saw the very different responses because not everybody is comfortable with it and so we, we did a lot of that work but that series was also shown because it's rights cleared still it's aired across the continent and in other countries as well so it was aired in 
Nigeria, Tanzania, Uganda, for example, um, all places where terrestrial broadcasters we knew would not air this with Reggie's character coming out. So what we did was we created a pan-African version where Reggie, we haven't changed his sexuality. We've just tinkered with a storyline which is focused around his father wanting Reggie to be more academic and Reggie wanting to be more creative. So, you know, it, it's a little dodgy me me metaphor, but a clunky metaphor, but it worked. And so on terrestrial broadcasters, we didn't censor anything. What we did was offer both versions to every broadcaster. The, I can tell you the only country that picked up the story of Reggie's coming out was South Africa. Um, but online, we only aired Reggie's coming out story. And what was fascinating was what reading the comments on YouTube, because originally what would happen is we would get a lot of conversations saying, um, oh, you know, this gayness is a Western disease and, and being very homophobic. And we started to moderate it. But then what we realized or what we saw was our audience were self-moderating. And so that's what we allowed them to do. And by series two, when Reggie has a boyfriend, which is very exciting, um, we didn't see, I mean, there was a couple of homophobic comments, but they'd pretty much gone away. Now, I don't think that's because we suddenly transformed everybody's perception and people, you know, sugar viewers are no longer homophobic. But I think what they realized is Reggie hasn't changed his sexuality from one series to the next. So, of course, he's still gay, which is a, it's pushing the borders a little bit. And then in Nigeria, um, what we, uh, you know, a really big, tricky storyline for us is looking at the differentiation between the north and south of the country, because they are, I don't know how well you know Nigeria, but it's pretty much like 25 countries in one country. And, you know, the north is um, much more conservative. And so we have two very different storylines. And it allows us to cut a special MTV Sugar series that is only aired in the North. Oh, that's interesting. So you have for every region, you try to convey different messages. Yep. Because, you know, and the same with our work in India, you know, the, the work in um, the messaging in Mumbai is going to be very, very different to the messaging in Rajasthan. So we have to be cognizant of where we're working culturally. I want to gently push on barriers, but I don't want to break them. I don't want to smash them down because if you smash down the barriers, the audience might appreciate it for a moment, but we'll get thrown out. And then that doesn't benefit anyone. So if you can gently push them, I hope that over time, it becomes more and more flexible. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it took us also our time to get used to all these topics. And it wasn't an overnight thing that we suddenly started to accept homosexuality and all these taboo topics. So it takes time. It's so true. I, I still remember, uh, you know, the, the British soap opera EastEnders when they had the first gay kiss. Right? It was a big deal. Damn, my neighbors out here having a party. Forget social distancing, rather. They socializing. And I'm out here just trying to feed my child. So I wish, Leo, I really wish I could be stuck up in a room like you. 
enjoying all the food and all the movies I could possibly do. But I can't. Today we face other threats. We have COVID-19. And when I did some research about you, I read that you had a dream, one uh, I think in April. <laughs> and uh, you woke up and um, you thought, why not continuing filming? I mean, we can also do the, even though the protagonists are in lockdowns, why not filming through Zoom? And when you told the story to your team, everyone said, oh, this is crazy and this is not possible. And, uh, but you insisted. So how did that work out? <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Um, I do. I am quite well known for my crazy dreams, but obviously, you know, I don't know if you had them, but at the start of lockdown, the dreams were like off the charts. And I just, I had this dream about all of our characters talking to each other. And, and when COVID started and lockdown started, you know, as any uh, NGO and other organizations were feeling like, how are we going to survive this? And then I realized, stop thinking about post-lockdown, let's, how can we use what we do to get involved in this global public health crisis? So um, we worked, we, we very quickly got funding from Every Woman, Every Child and Unitaid, who very kindly, like within 48 hours, turned money around to us. Um, and we, we had to invent a new way of working. So how do you produce a and we, for the first time we made daily episodes so we'd never done that before it they were short they were six to ten minutes long we would write them 10 days before we would put them on air so as lockdown changed and in all the different countries we were working in we had to be very flexible on our scripting to make it feel very much in the moment um, our actors had to let us into their own homes and open up their wardrobes for us. And, you know, we'd walk around their kitchen or their dining room or their bedroom and say, right, this, this wall is perfect. Um, and again, it's hard. You know, we had a gender-based violence storyline and that was really hard for the actors involved to, you know, because they're at home alone and, you know, they're very intense, these storylines. But it was you know, quite the most crazy, phenomenal thing to be involved in. We worked, for four months, we worked seven days a week. We were constantly, you know, story outlining, scripting and editing just on a constant machine. We had two teams. We had our writers in Nigeria and South Africa and Kenya. So we filmed in those three countries and Botswana and the US for the first time. It was, <laughs> it was, and then we tackled... Um, hand washing, social distancing, lockdown, quarantine, but then also things like uh, violence and mental health issues and access to clinics. So we had an unplanned pregnancy storyline. We had someone who didn't want to get his HIV meds. So being able to sort of draw in a lot of our, you know, all of the messaging that is so important at this moment in time, you know, you still need to get your meds. If you, we're, we're currently... I'm just finalizing scripts for India because we're doing the same thing. And, and we've got a TB storyline and you absolutely still need to access your TB medication. Exactly. And we all say that HIV and TB will just go, go up because of the lockdowns and not having the access to the healthcare services. Right. It's, um, it's, it's, fr it's really frightening times for you know, so many reasons. And so we just realized that we had to use what we do. We're, we're really good at what we do. So how do we use that for the, you know, the, the best you know, in the, the right way? 
Um, so we've had over 9 million views to date. Um, we partnered with Facebook on a poll. So um, we know that of um, MTV Sugar, it's called Alone Together. It's MTV Sugar Alone Together. And um, of the viewers, they said 89% of them said that they had learned something about COVID from Alone Together. And we are still, well, we, we've stopped filming now. We're having a break and I hope to be able to bring it back. And for me, I think one of the big learning lessons was if you had told me pre-COVID that we could produce daily episodes of MTV Sugar and still have impact, but it's going to be on a fifth of the budget and in a tenth of the time, I would have laughed and said, absolutely no way. And what it's shown us is we've got this spectrum of being able to produce things in different ways. So you've got, you know, alone together where it's the actor is their own production team, hair, makeup, camera, sound, through to, you know, the original MTV Sugars, which take a lot longer, are far more expensive, and we get to craft the scripts a lot more. You know, there, there is a difference in the scripting process. Now, I hope we never go back to alone together in the sense of everything was filmed in, on Zoom. It's quite claustrophobic to, to watch it back to back. But that we definitely don't necessarily need to go all the way up to that high-end, you know, large production scale. There's probably several stages in between that we can look at. You know, maybe it's just a couple of, of a production team, you know, working with the actor. And I, I think that's what excites me about the ability to be able to do things differently. So you said you are taking a little pause at the moment. What is coming next? I think for us, uh, actually, we're having this moment to reflect, which is really good. We've got some, um, we've got lots of potential coming up for next year, but I can't, um, nothing is confirmed as yet. I think the big thing for us is really to develop our internal monitoring and learning database. So, uh, sorry, um, dashboard so that we really have good learning in-house. So I think that is a real priority for us. We're building up our regional offices. So I think, you know, again, a COVID learning. We, we've always had teams in Nigeria, South Africa or India, wherever we're working, but really to build up those regional offices. If I need to hire a new digital manager, that person does not need to be in London. That person can be, you know, in one of our um, current offices that we've got uh, across Africa. Um, so I think that's really exciting to, to be able to see that shift. And I think, you know, in terms of messages, there's a lot going on out there. So COVID's not going away. And I think um, the, you know, the big um, message that we haven't tackled yet, but is, you know, bound to come up is vaccine confidence. How do we get involved in being able to build up, um, you know, people's perception about vaccines and, and encourage them that it is the, the right and the safe thing to do? That will be a, quite a big one because there's so many fake news and so much resistance to vaccines. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's, there's definitely a lot to come. I'm really excited about hearing more about your work and I thank you so much for this interview and I also wish you and your team a lot of success with your future endeavors. Oh, thank you so much for asking me to join you, Karen. I really appreciated it. That was the Medigus Mundi Health for All podcast with Gachin Weiss. You can listen to it on iTunes, Spotify and on our website. To spread the message, please leave a comment, share and like it. 
stay tuned. The next episode is round the corner.